Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Likute Amarim, title page. We're about to start the Tanya, which has a few names. The Likute Amarim, which means it's a gathering of sayings. Or, as Al-Tarebi calls it, the Sefer Shal Benanim, the book of the Benani. The Benani, who's the hero of the Tanya, is the average Jew. That is, every Jew has the ability to be a Benani. And that is the name of the book, the book of Benanim, popularly called the Tanya because it refers to the beginning, the opening line of the first chapter of the Tanya. So we begin with the title page written by the Alter Rebbe himself. The title page written by the Alter Rebbe reads as follows. Sefer, Likute Amarim, a compilation of teachings. That's what the Alter Rebbe called it, a compilation of teachings. He's just a compilation. In his modesty, the Alter Rebbe doesn't even put his name down, doesn't even sign his own name. And he says, I'm not saying anything original. I'm just compiling Sayings. Um, and that's the name that he chose, the Kutia Continue. Part one, entitled Sefer Shel Benonim, the Book of the Intermediates, compiled from sacred books and from teachers of heavenly saintliness whose souls are in Eden. He says this book is based on sacred books and on teachers, in the mouth of teachers. And according to Hasidic tradition, the sacred books referred to specifically, the books that preceded, uh, preceded him, which is the book of the Maral of Prague, Rabbi Judah Lowe of Prague, and the books of Rabbi Shaya Levi Horowitz, which preceded him, who also wrote uh, mystical works, the Shalah and the Maral. And the holy teachers refer to his teachers, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad of Mizrich, and his only child, his only son, Rabbi Avram, the angel, uh, who received their teachings, Rabbi Dov Ber received his teachings from the Baal Shem Tov. So These are the holy teachers who he refers to. So the Tanya is based on the teachings of his teachers and the sacred books that predate the Hasidic movement, uh, the Shalah, Rabbi Shaya Levi Horowitz, and Rabbi Hudel Judah the Maral of Prague. Based. based upon the verse, For this thing is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. It says at the end of Deuteronomy that this thing, which thing? What is he referring to? So according to Rashi and other commentaries, this thing refers to the mitzvah. As it says earlier in the verse, ha-mitzvah is this mitzvah. Not just this particular mitzvah, but all of the mitzvah. It refers to the mitzvah. That doing the mitzvah, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Jewish people at the end of his life, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, that doing all the mitzvot, this thing is something that's very close to you. It's near to you, in your mouth, and in your heart that you may do it. Which requires explanation. 
Why does this verse require explanation? Because he says that this thing is near to you. To fulfill all 613 mitzvot is near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. That it is achievable and something that's very near to you to evoke within your heart to have a feeling. Not just to do the mitzvah, to speak the mitzvah, to act and do the mitzvah, but to actually have a strong feeling for the mitzvah. And this is something that is very difficult to understand. Explaining clearly how it is exceedingly near. How can the verse say that to do the mitzvah, even to do the mitzvah, is something that is very, very difficult? But the Torah says, not only, Moshe says, not only is it near to you, it's achievable, it is doable for a Jew, for every Jew, for all Jews, for any Jew, to fulfill all 613 mitzvot in your mouth and to do the mitzvah, but also in your heart, to do the mitzvah with feeling, with emotion, with excitement, enthusiasm. And to do the mitzvah with emotion and excitement and enthusiasm is something that's very near to you. Is it near to us? We know how difficult it is. Who is the Torah speaking to? The Torah is not speaking to the tzaddik, to the one in a million who's religiously inclined, who's religious spiritually intense. The Torah is speaking to the kabbalah, the tailor, the average Jew, the simple Jew, the business person who's engaged in business, spends most of his waking hours and working hours in business, you're telling that Jew that to fulfill all 613 mitzvot, even without the heart, even if you skip the word, the heart, that's also very difficult to say that to keep the Torah and mitzvot is something that's near to you, and not just near to you, very near to you. But then the Torah inserts in, in the middle, oh, by the way, not just... Not just to do the mitzvah and to speak the mitzvah is easy for you. Very easy, very simple. But to do it with feeling, with excitement, with enthusiasm, with passion, with love, this is something that's very near and dear to all of you, to every Jew. No matter who they are, where they are, throughout all generations. Is this actual? Is this real? This, does, this, this requires explanation. How is this possible? It's not a far-fetched... Uh, Moshe is saying that do, to do mitzvah is not far-fetched. It's very doable. When we know how, what a struggle it is. We know how difficult it is. So to explain this, to explain it clearly, how it is exceedingly near, continue. In both a lengthy and a short way, with the aid of the Holy One, blessed be He. So what's he referring to when he says a lengthy and a short way? He refers to the Talmudic passage. Talmud in the tractate Erevin, page 53, relates a story. Rabbi Shur ben Hananiah was traveling to Jerusalem and he meets, on the road, he meets a child. So he asked the child, tell me, my boy, what's the closest way to Jerusalem? So the boy says, there are two ways. 
Which way, I, which way are you looking for? There's a short, a long way, and there's a long, short way. So he says, of course, I want the shortcut. Give me the short, long way. He says, sure. And he points, go right here. The road will take you right. And he goes, and within a short while, he reaches the walls of Jerusalem. But around the walls, you have fields, <laughs> vineyards, gated fields, vineyards. So he, it's very good, the wall. He sees the wall, but he gets in, it's not approachable. So he goes back. He says, but you, you told me that this is the short way. Yeah, but I told you the short, long way. <laughs> it's a shortcut, but it's a long way. Now let me tell you the long, short way. And he points to a road. It's a long, winding road. But once he, once he travels through this road, he enters straight into the city. Yes, it took a long one. But it was really a shortcut. It was a long way, but it was really the shortcut. And the Rebbe is referring to something very fundamental to the Chabad Hasidic philosophy because there were two schools of thought within the Hasidic movement. The classical thought, the non-Chabad way, and the Chabad way. And the difference, there was a clear difference between the two approaches. Almost an argument. The other Hasidic masters did not agree with Alter Rebbe's path. They had their own path. And they insisted that their path is the correct path. The Alter Rebbe insisted that the Chabad way, this is the, only, this is the path, the only path for altars. What, what consisted their argument? The other Hasidic masters believed that the tzaddik, the charismatic figure, who is the center of the community, it's enough that the tzaddik has a crystal clear understanding of godliness. And that the tzaddik is on a very high level, is a very profound mystic, and the tzaddik is able to elevate all of his chassidim, all of his followers. He's able to elevate them through his elevation. It's enough that the tzaddik serves Hashem with a very deep understanding and with a very profound, uh, conscious, penetrating uh, understanding and relationship with Hashem. And it's enough for the chassid, the simple Jew, the kabbalah, the tailor, the, the average person, it's enough that they have faith. They believe in the tzaddik. They're connected to the tzaddik. And by their soul, loving the tzaddik and being connected to the tzaddik, having faith and trusting in the tzaddik, the tzaddik carries them along like, like his, through his coattails. He elevates all of them. His inspiration. He is like this generator, this massive generator, and his inspiration is enough to elevate all of his chassid. Take them along for the ride. It's not necessary for the chassid, the average person, to start delving deeply into deep contemplation, deep intellectual contemplation of deep mystical thoughts that are so esoteric and so abstruse and abstract. It would just confuse and confound the average Jew. And that's not what God wants from them. God wants them to have faith, to believe, 
and to use their mind to study Talmud and to study Torah and leave the rest for the tzaddik. The tzaddik is the mystic who will connect heaven and earth and the tzaddik will elevate them. And it's enough when they look at the tzaddik and they see and they're connected with the tzaddik, they have a relationship with the tzaddik. So when the tzaddik is elevated and inspired, he inspires the, all those who are connected to him. And he inspires his entire community. And that was the approach of all the other Hasidic groups, the Polish Hasidim and all the other Hasidic masters. That the tzaddik, through his faith, will bring vitality and life, spiritual life, to all of his followers. And all other Hasidic courts centered around the tzaddik. He was a charismatic figure, the great mystic, the great scholar. And by connecting to the tzaddik, the chassid felt inspired, felt uplifted. It gave meaning to the chassid's life. And it injected into the chassid a sense of spirituality. So the, these tzaddikim felt, and not everyone is cut out to develop their own path to spirituality, to develop their own capacity to be able to, to develop a sensitivity to spirituality. It's not within the power, the reach of the average Jew. And therefore, they have to rely on the tzaddik. The tzaddik is intensely spiritual. The tzaddik is heavenly. And, but the tzaddik is also part of this world. The tzaddik is a leader, like a father figure. And the love binds the chassid and the, and the tzaddik. Love transcends all boundaries. Love is the glue, is the spiritual glue that connects people. So the love between the chassid and his rebbe, and his spiritual guide and mentor. And the rebbe is, the, the tzaddik is, loves his chassid like a father loves a child. He's his teacher. And he loves his students and he loves his chassidim like a father loves a child. And therefore, that love binds the Rebbe with the chassid. So if the Rebbe is elevated, connects to heaven, he, bring, he elevates all of his chassidim with him. And they feel a vitality. They feel an uplift. They feel a spirituality. They feel inspired by the Rebbe. They come to the Rebbe every once in a while. They come to the Rebbe. They see him. They watch him in action. Their soul is on fire, and they're, they're inflamed, and they're enthusiastic, and they go back home. And the Rebbe's energy, the Rebbe has enough energy to sweep all of his chassidim with him and inject enough life force, enough spiritual vitality that they can go flying and they can fly high until the next time they meet. And the chassid is always in the Rebbe's mind, and the Rebbe is always in this chassid's mind. So it becomes like a spiritual connection, a conduit. For the Rebbe is the conduit through which the spiritual electricity, the spiritual inspiration flows through the Rebbe and connects with the Chas. This was the approach of the, the other Hasidic groups. The Alter Rebbe was a revolutionary within the Hasidic movement. The Alter Rebbe created a new path. He says, no, this is not good enough. It's not enough for the Hasid to rely on the Rebbe. It's important for the chassid to develop his own, cultivate his own spiritual sensitivity. His mind and his heart has to be in tune with spirituality through his own effort, 
through your own effort, you have to work hard. And through your own effort, you have to develop a sensitivity. You have to concentrate your mind, focus your mind, and develop in your heart a spiritual sensitivity, a sensitivity to spirituality and to godliness. And this takes a lot of effort and a lot of hard work. And it's labor-intensive. And it takes a lot of time. And we all have to deal with our shortcomings. We're not dealing with mystics and scholars necessarily. We're dealing with even simple people, cobblers and tailors and business people. And yet no one is off the hook. Every single Jew, every single chassid, chabad chassid, and really every Jew is obligated to cultivate and develop their own spiritual consciousness, their own spiritual sensitivity. And this is what Alter Rebbe refers to as the long short way versus the short long way. In the first instance, yes, it's a short way. And yes, it leads you into Jerusalem. Not like in the parable. In the parable, he can't enter the city. But in the, in the moral of the story, yes, you do enter the city. You enter Jerusalem. It's a shortcut. Because the Rebbe, with one glance, could sweep you away in, in this fiery emotion, this fiery spirituality. He just, his enthusiasm is so contagious and, and he just elevates you and you feel suddenly a love. Suddenly you feel your Jewish faith. You feel it burning in your heart and you feel alive as a Jew and you feel spiritual and you feel connected and you feel in ecstasy and, and you feel overwhelmed with joy. So it's a shortcut that takes you right into Jerusalem, right into the holy city, right into Hashem. But it's a long way. It's the short, long way. Because the end result is, where are you, the person themselves? The person themselves remains unchanged, unrefined. You're just overwhelmed. You're swept away. Your personality, your individuality is dormant. So you're swept away by, by your Rebbe's enthusiasm. But it's not really you. Your mind is not in tune with godliness. Your heart is not necessarily in tune with godliness. Your individual mind, your individual heart, your individuality and personality is dormant. And you're swept away in this faith which is just burning in your heart. But it's not you. It's your Rebbe's faith. So if it's not really you, where, where are you? Where is the real you? Where is your mind at? Where is your heart at? You know, maybe I'll never find out. Maybe I can go through life and never find out. By always plugging into the Rebbe and plugging into this holy tzaddik. I could live my whole life just being swept away in my Rebbe's faith. I may never have to deal with it. But the truth is, I don't know where you're really at. Where are you at as an individual? Where is your mind at? Have you crystallized in your own mind? Have you crystallized your own sense of godliness? Do you truly grasp? Do you truly get the idea of godliness? The idea of the unity of God? The idea that you are unified and the whole world around you is truly unified and that it's all unified in the absolute unity of God? Do you truly understand that? 
Because only if you truly understand that could you develop emotions based on that understanding. If something is crystal clear in your mind, and you focus and concentrate on that, it develops a certain emotions. Then your heart and your emotions are also transformed by that understanding. And you develop a love, a love for, for, for the unity of God. And then you can overcome and, and transform your emotional characteristics, your angers and your, your, your depressions and your arrogance. You can deal and literally transform your personality and character. If based on that understanding of godliness. But if a person doesn't have that individual relationship with God and that crystal, crystal clear understanding of God, and you don't have those personal emotions based on that understanding, then maybe you just overlook it. You can go through your entire life not realizing that you're really not in tune with godliness. Your mind is not really in tune with godliness. Your personality and individuality is not in tune with godliness, and neither is your heart. The real you is not really in tune with godliness. It's just dormant, because you're so overwhelmed by your Rebbe's faith. So you're swept away, and you walk around all your life in ecstasy and joy. But it's your Rebbe's joy. It's your Rebbe's ecstasy. It's not you. not the real you. But in the Alter Rebbe's system, the Chabad system, Chachma, Bina, Das, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The Alter Rebbe system is the long, short way. Yes, it's long, because you have to deal with your own limitations. You're dealing with an average Jew, a simple person, who's not necessarily born with a tuner, a fine tuner that's tuned into spirituality. Maybe our, our radio is tuned into uh, to other channels. Naturally, we're not tuned into spirituality, we're tuned into materialism. We're tuned into fun, to pleasure. We're not tuned into spirituality. So it takes a lot of fine-tuning, and it takes a lot of effort to change the channel that we should become tuned in. That our channels, our receivers, my mind, my individuality, my personality, my heart, that I should be excited about spirituality and godliness, and that it should affect me. That as a result of my focusing and concentrating and tuning in intellectually, grasping the idea of the unity of God, as a result, I develop a, a sensitivity in my heart, a tug in my heart. My heart pulls me into that direction, and consequently it affects my actions, my behavior, that it's enough to change my behavior, that I should start acting like a Jew and start thinking like a Jew, and not just acting and thinking and speaking like a Jew, but also to do it with enthusiasm, with passion, as the verse says. To, that to be Jewish, Moshe tells the Jewish people that to be Jewish is something that's very near to you. Not only to do and to speak the right thing, but to do it with heart, with feeling, with enthusiasm. But it's my enthusiasm. It's the real me. This is my mind gets it. I get it. Just like I get anything else in life. When something clicks in your mind in business, I get it. It makes sense to me. Godliness should be on the same level. Godliness, you should get godliness. It should click in your mind. The concept of the unity of God, the concept that underlying all reality there is one unity, and there's a unity within my, within my nature, and the unity within all of nature, and is really one with the absolute unity of God. When that concept is crystal clear in my mind, and I focus and concentrate, and as a result it evokes excitement and enthusiasm and a thrill in my heart, 
And the way to express that unity and that reality is by doing Torah and mitzvot, by living a Jewish life and doing Jewish deeds. Then it's me. Then I enter Jerusalem. Otherwise, I can't enter Jerusalem. What do you mean you can't enter Jerusalem? You call it a path. It's a long, a short, long way. So it is a way, it is a path. Because in general, you enter Jerusalem. You are swept away with your Rebbe's enthusiasm, and therefore, yes, you are in Jerusalem. You're living a holy life. You're living a Jewish life, a fulfilled life, a meaningful life, a spiritual life, in general. But in particular, specifically, you haven't entered Jerusalem. There are gardens on the way around surrounding the wall. There's a wall, there's a barrier. The real you has a barrier. The real you is not, cannot enter. Because you've never worked with the real you. You've never refined the real you. You've never really worked with, with yourself. You're just ignoring the real you. You're like leapfrogging, but you're ignoring. You're not really dealing with it. You're just swept away by this general enthusiasm and excitement and passion for godliness. But the nitty-gritty, the individual you, if you take the Rebbe away, there's a barrier between you and Jerusalem. You're not there. You cannot enter. While the Chabad way, which you have to take the long way, no shortcuts. You have to spend the time and you have to spend the effort and you have to study and you have to think and you have to contemplate and you have to meditate and you have to focus until it crystallizes in your mind, until you truly get the concept. And then you have to work on allowing the concept to seep through the mind into the heart until you get excited about the reality of godliness, the unity of godliness. When you discover the underlying unity within your own nature and the underlying unity of the world around you and how it's all unified with the absolute unity of God. And you get excited about it. And which leads you to doing mitzvot and to do the mitzvah with enthusiasm. You are excited. It's your excitement. It's your passion. That is a guaranteed path into Jerusalem. Then there are no barriers. Then every part of you is into Jerusalem enters Jerusalem. Your mind, your heart, your individuality, your personality, every aspect of your being enters into Jerusalem. In other words, your entire being becomes holy and godly. You become totally unified with God. Every part of you becomes unified with God. In the other approach, the only part of you that's unified with God is your faith. But where is your mind? Where is your wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, your Chabad? Where is your heart? The real you, your personality, your individuality, your unique characteristics, that's, there's a barrier that remains outside of Jerusalem. You can't enter. There are no shortcuts. But when you take the long way and you work on yourself, and every Jew, the average Jew, no Jew is exempt. Every single Jew has the responsibility and the ability to work on themselves, to fine-tune their themselves until they become they are able to tune into spirituality where the mind could appreciate a godly concept. Your mind could appreciate a concept. Just like you can appreciate a business deal, you can, if you have a mind, every human being has a mind, is able to work in his mind, he can grasp a concept that he cares about. So too, we have the capacity within us to develop our minds that we should be able to grasp a godly concept. And we should get excited about that godly concept. 
and at the end, it leads us to change our behavior and to lead a life, lead our lives accordingly. So this is the long, short way. And the previous Lubavitch Rebbe explained, brought an, an analogy of the Chabad, the, the Rebbe Chassid relationship in Chabad. He says it's like a miner, miners. Miners have to go deep into the ground. Now, in order to go into the ground, you have to have a good guide or underwater sea diving. So you need a good guide, an expert guide, who's going to guide you exactly how to go, where to go, and you need to follow instructions because your life is on the line. But with the best guide in the world, there's one thing you have to do for yourself. You have to breathe for yourself. The guide can't breathe for you. You have to breathe for yourself. You have to have your own source of air. So, so, so a Rebbe can guide you, can teach you, can show you, can inspire you. But ultimately, you have to breathe for yourself. You have to have a line. You have to have fresh air. You have to have your own line to spirituality. You have to be able to access spirituality with your own strength, through your own effort. And it's going to take effort. And no one could substitute that effort for you. The Rebbe could teach, inspire, but ultimately, it has to come from within you. And that's the long, short way. It's much more demanding but it's also much more rewarding because it's real. It's etched into your being. It's carved from your own being. It's part of you. It becomes part of you. Inspiration comes and goes. Inspiration that comes from an outside source, from a heavenly source, from an otherworldly source like a charismatic Rebbe or leader. When the Rebbe is not there, the source of inspiration is gone and you no longer feel that inspiration. But when you develop and cultivate within yourself the tools to appreciate spirituality and godliness, then it becomes part of you. It becomes inseparable from you. And then it's, it's yours forever. No one can take it away from you. So the Tanya in a certain sense, is the world's first self-help book. Now, the Rebbe is teaching you how to help yourself. Now, it's, it's the long, short way. The short way is, I'll just help you. I'll just give you. Whatever you need, I'll give you. It just, it's easier. It's simpler. And I'll give you an abundance. You'll have enough to take care of yourself. But we know this eighth level of tzedakah. What's the ultimate level of tzedakah? It's anonymous giving and giving somebody a job. Ah, that's the highest level. Even beyond anonymous giving is giving, making a person become self-sufficient that he'll never need tzedakah again. Don't just help him. Teach him how to help himself. Once you teach a person how to help himself, that's the greatest thing you can do. Of course, that's the long, short way. It's much more difficult. Isn't it easier? Just write a check and I'll take care of you. I'll provide all you need generously. But that's a short Long way. 
because tomorrow he'll need your help again. He's really back to square one. You haven't really helped him. You helped him for the moment, but you haven't really helped him. You really want to help someone. Take the time, take the effort to teach them to stand on their own two feet. And you can walk away and the person is self-sufficient. Now that takes a lot more effort, it takes a lot more work, but the reward is that the person is on his own. That's the long, short way. And that's the Chabad way. The Rebbe says, of course, it's so much easier just to give you that inspiration. As all my colleagues are doing with their Hasidim. I'll just give you inspiration, enough inspiration to last your lifetime. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let you off the hook. It's too easy. It's too simple. That, that's, that's not the answer. The answer is, I'm going to teach you how to help yourself. I'm going to teach you how to access your own source of spirituality inside of you. I'm going to teach you how to be in touch with that pintle that divine spark that's within me. That's the Chabad revolution. Let's learn inside. Um... This verse on which the Tanya is based speaks of the obligation to fulfill God's commandments, saying that it is very near i.e. accessible to every Jew to do so, through three channels, which are here alluded to by the three phrases, your heart, your mouth, and to do it. These phrases represent, respectively, the three faculties of thought, speech, and action. These are, as it were, the functional organs of the soul. The soul vests itself in them in order to implement its wishes. In a deeper sense, your heart refers to the emotions experienced in the heart of love of God and awe of Him. When one fulfills a mitzvah out of his love of God, knowing that the only way to unite with Him is by fulfilling His commands, he will do so with an inner vitality and pleasure, just as one does when he fulfills the wishes of a dear friend. The love of God is thus a channel for the performance of the positive mitzvot. On the other hand, one's awe of God will prevent him from acting in violation of his wishes. He who is pervaded by this sense of awe will be most vigilant in avoiding any transgression of the prohibitive mitzvot. So in order to do the mitzvot, we need, you need the love and the awe. Because what is going to motivate you to do the positive mitzvah? It is only your love of God that is really going to motivate you to do the mitzvah. If you know that by doing the mitzvah you connect with connect with Hashem, therefore you'll be motivated to do the mitzvah. The only thing that's going to stop you from, from sinning, or from transgressing, from trespassing, the literal word of the word mitzvah, um, it's only the awe of God. When you're in awe of someone, you're, you're careful. You're careful not to violate their wishes. You're, care, you're, you're careful. You don't treat them lightly, and you don't treat their wishes lightly. Someone you're not in awe with, a best friend, okay, so, you know, you'll do things out of love for them, but it won't stop you from, you know, your best friend. So, so they said, so it's not the end of the world. It's not, so you're careful, you'll do things out of love, you'll do positive things, but it won't stop you from doing anything negative or something that they don't wish you to do. But if you're in awe of someone, someone that's great and you're in awe of their presence their wish is your command 
and you'll be careful not to violate their wish or not to trespass or to, you know, you'll take the word very, very seriously. So our relationship with God has to be a combination of love as well as awe. The love motivates us to do the positive mitzvot, 248 mitzvot. The awe uh, protects us and keeps us from trespassing or violating Hashem's wishes by, by transgressing or doing something that goes against His wishes. So this is what the verse means, that to love God, that to do the mitzvot in your mouth and in your action, through your heart, through the emotions, through the love and awe of God, this is something that is very near to each and every one of you. Continue. The verse thus declares that acquiring these two emotions of love and awe of God so that they motivate one's observance of the mitzvot, is likewise very near to you. This declaration is the basis of the Tanya. The Alter Rebbe now sets out to explain in both a lengthy and a brief way how it is very near. By nature, man's heart desires material things. To develop a love and a desire for godliness is actually to shift one's natural desire from one extreme, worldliness, to another, godliness. Nor is awe of God easily attainable. As the Gemara attests, is awe of God such a small matter? How then does the verse state that it is, indeed, very near to you? Both emotions are things that are very, that are very difficult. Because to honestly say that we, should, we desire godliness, we should naturally desire godliness, it's, it's very unnatural to us. It's very difficult for us to accomplish that. Naturally, we desire materialism, instant gratification. And it takes tremendous effort to be able to shift our desires from desiring and feeling an attraction toward materialism, we should feel an attraction toward godliness. It's very, very difficult. And it's even more difficult to arouse awe to be in awe of God is a very difficult thing because we don't sense God's presence. God is not a tangible reality to us. We struggle with, with the whole concept, with relating to God. It's not like a human being that's standing before us that we, we feel ashamed, we feel embarrassed. God is all over, God is within us, God is all around us, and yet we behave as if He doesn't exist, if He's not present. The proof is, if He were present... If a human being were present, even a stranger, we wouldn't do certain things, just out of shame. Out of, you know, I'm not going to embarrass myself in front of a stranger. So you behave in a certain way. When no one is in the room, no one is looking, uh, we, let our, we let our hair down. But the truth is, it's ridiculous. If you're ashamed, embarrassed before a stranger, how much more so you should be embarrassed before God? If, if you knew the king is standing right next to you, that's a stranger, a nobody. Imagine if an important person was standing before you. As it says in the Code of Jewish Law, when a Jew wakes up in the morning, he should jump out of bed. He should think to himself, Hashem, the King of Kings is standing right in front of my bed. What would you do if you woke up and the President was standing right before you? <laughs> or the king, the king was standing before you? You would jump out of bed. And yet, God is standing before us. And, you know, we just go back to sleep. So what does that mean? It just shows how difficult it is. To have be in awe of God. That God should be such a presence, such a reality. 
or as it says in the Mishnah and Ethics of Our Fathers, there's an eye that sees and an ear that hears. How many people live their life that way? If we knew that there was a camera watching every move, we would live a certain way. But the fact that God sees and God hears and God watches and records and registers and it means something to God and it matters and every move that we make really makes a difference and God cares makes zero impression on us. So we see how difficult it is to really achieve a sense of awe. Awe is a sense of a reality, a presence. You're in the presence of greatness, you feel an awe. If you were standing in front of Einstein, you would feel an awe. If you're standing in the presence of greatness, you're just, you're just awed. It's a feeling, it's a palpable feeling you feel in your heart. So how much more so that we should feel that if we're standing in the presence of God and we are standing in the presence of God. And God cares about each and every one of us and is watching us and accompanies us and is looking into our heart constantly and continuously. Because so much is riding on us and each and every one of us. But we don't sense it. We don't feel it. And yet the Torah says, Moshe says, this is his lasting legacy to the Jewish people. Oh, by the way, to keep Torah and mitzvah and to do it with all your heart, and to love God, to have a passionate feeling for godliness, just like you have a natural feeling to materialism. And to have a sense of awe of God is something that's very near to you. No big deal. Very easy. Very easy. It's almost impossible. That's even with sincere effort. How many people don't even make the effort because it's so far-fetched? In our mind, it's difficult to even conceive how that's possible. It's something we usually relegate to great tzaddikin. A great tzaddik, a spiritually sensitive soul. We can, we can appreciate that they can develop a, a love for godly things. For selfless things, for godly things. Or that they can develop a sense of awe of God, of God's presence. And live with God's presence. We call a God-fearing Jew. It's the ultimate title. The ultimate title you can give a Jew is that he's a God-fearing Jew. A Jew is in awe of God, who fears God, won't violate any of God's wishes. God says, don't do this. It's enough. The king says, don't do this. Your wish is my command. I'm afraid. I'm not going to do it. I'm in awe. I'm not going to do anything to... But this is one in a million. One in a thousand. But every single Jew, that this is near, not only is it achievable... But it's near, it's very near, it's so close, it's so easily achievable and doable. This is counterintuitive. Makes no sense. Is the Torah talking to real people, real human beings? You and I? Or is it talking to some saint? So the entire Tanya is based on answering this question. Alter Rebbe, when you're through with the Tanya, you will agree with Moshe's statement that to be a Jew and to act like a Jew and to think like a Jew and to speak like a Jew and not just to do it dryly technically and mechanically but to do it with passion with love with a sense of awe where God's presence is palpable is very near to every single Jew in the world no matter who they are where they are Whatever they are in life, whatever circumstances they are, under all milieus and all circumstances, even today, 2006, it's near and dear to each and every one of us. 
This is the foundation of the time. The Alter Rebbe will explain two ways by which the attainment of love and fear is very near, one lengthy and the other brief. The lengthy route is contemplation. By pondering deeply on the greatness of God and His kindness, one will generate within himself a love and awe of Him. The shorter route consists of arousing and bringing to the surface the hidden love and awe of God, inherent in the soul of every Jew. It is short because in this case he does not create these feelings, but merely reveals them. Here, many interpret the Tanya a little differently than we said earlier. And that's the explanation he says here. Although the truer explanation is the explanation that we explained earlier. That the long and short way are two different ways, two different paths to God. One is the long, and one is the short. The short way refers to the innate, inherent faith that each and every Jew inherits from their mother because they inherited the Jewish soul. And therefore, they have this innate love. They have what we call the pintaliyid, the spark, the Jewish spark within each and every one of us, which is what makes us Jewish. And therefore, each and every Jew has this faith. It's not something that has to be created or something that they have to create. It's there. It's inherent. It's innate. It's in your bones. It's in your kishkis. We know God with every fiber of our being and every bone in our body. It's a given. All we have to do is to reveal that inherent love. So that's a short route. We don't have to create anything. We just have to uncover, maybe covered up with a little schmutz, like we all born with a diamond. The diamond is there. It's a precious diamond. But sometimes to, to extract the diamond, you have to polish the diamond. The diamond sometimes gets a little covered up and you can't distinguish between the, the rock and the diamond, a regular rock and a diamond. They all look the same. So you cover up the schmutz, you remove the schmutz, and suddenly you uncover this beautiful, polished, this beautiful diamond, sparkling diamond. He didn't create anything. He just removed the cover. So that's a shortcut. But then there is a long way. The long way is where a person, by using his mind, his God-given ability to think, to comprehend, to grasp, to meditate, to focus, to concentrate, until you truly get a concept, you develop an understanding of godliness using your own logical mind losing your own mind and using your way of thinking and your way of making sense of the world you develop an understanding of godliness now that's a long way because it's something you're creating you're creating on your own based on your mind and based on your way of understanding the world and understanding things and using your mind to come to the realization of understanding godliness and building an emotion, creating an emotion based on that, on that understanding. So again, it's a created emotion. It's a created, something that you are creating. And that's a long way, because you're creating something that doesn't exist. Because naturally your mind doesn't understand godliness. Naturally your heart doesn't love God, godly things. Naturally your love loves money, materialism, instant gratification. That's natural. To love godliness and selflessness and kindness and goodness, that doesn't come natural. To understand godliness is not either natural. My mind understands something tangible. To understand things that are beyond the logical mind, this is something that is very difficult. 
and therefore it takes a tremendous amount of effort and hard work and dedication and discipline and focus and concentration. It's not easy. So this is what he calls the long way. So there's two different paths. There's a long way and then there's a short way. That's one way of explaining what the Rebbe means by long and short. Two separate paths. There's a long way and there's a short way. And the Rebbe is going to explain that it's not enough to rely on your faith and just tap into that faith, just reveal that faith. It's not enough. Judaism has to also engage your mind, your mind, your logical mind, your way of thinking, your way of making sense of the world. Engaging your mind, totally engaging your mind until you understand Godliness, until your mind appreciates Godliness, until it clicks in your mind, until you get it, and you, you get excited about the unity of God. But the more correct interpretation is that the Rebbe, as we explained earlier, the Rebbe is referring to the Talmudic saying, the story in the Talmud, that there are two paths. There's the short, long way, the seeming shortcut, but it ends up being a long way, with a barrier to entering into the city, to Jerusalem. And then there is the long, short way. It's long, but you will surely arrive in your destination. All of you will enter Jerusalem unhindered, unencumbered. Continue. This then is the basis. This then is the basis of the Tanya. In his modesty, the Alter Rebbe named the book Likute Amarim, a compilation of teachings, claiming that he did no more than collect teachings from books and teachers. Hasidic tradition understands books as a reference to the works of the Maharal and the Shalom, and teachers as the Baal Shem Tov and the Maggid of Mazrich. The book is popularly called Tanya for the word with which it begins. When he says about contemplation, are those meditations? Yes. Contemplation is taking that that you already know and personalizing it, applying it until it comes to life to you. It becomes meaningful to you that you become, you become excited about it. It's like a difference, to use a, a, a physical example, it's like a difference between you have a person who studies economics and you have a person who goes into business. <laughs> most most, most uh, the professors of e- economy never earned a dime in their life or versus someone who went into business. Why is someone happy, of, you know, happy satisfied with just studying economics? Another person wants to actually make money, <laughs> apply it. Because a person, is a difference between a child and an adult almost. A child is abstract. There's no reality. So yeah, it's a general concepts. That's why a child is not responsible. An adult doesn't just understand it intellectually, conceptually. An adult understands it until the point that he's motivated to do something about it. A person who really has an understanding, a grasp, but truly... It really clicks inside of you and you really get it and you really have a true grasp of, 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 of the value of money, then you go out and you, and you do something about it. You do business, you do investments, you, you, you want some. You appreciate it and you want it. That's the sign of adulthood. So in life, it's also like that. If we have Jewish concepts, but it's all abstract, so we have the wisdom and we have the understanding, we have the, the create creative, uh, and then we have the analytical heart is fully developed, but we're lacking in the contemplation, in the focus, in the concentration. 
until you know we don't allow it to seep in and to sink in and we don't we don't pickle the idea until it really gets to us until it really clicks inside of us until it really moves us and motivates us to do something about it then then the, the main event is lacking it's like telling a joke it's missing the whole punchline so the punchline which moves us into action and really connects us and connects into our heart that suddenly we're motivated to do something about it and then we go ahead and do something about it this is the das is the connector that's the key contemplation that's what prayer is that's the difference between studying Torah and praying when you study Torah you learn something new when you pray you don't learn anything new when you pray you're taking that that you already know but you're contemplating you're personalizing you're internalizing you're integrating and suddenly it comes alive it becomes real I'm not talking about something abstract I'm talking about something that's real that's relevant to me it becomes relevant it becomes meaningful to me it changes me it inspires me it affects me intellect doesn't affect me it's an interesting idea I can tell you both sides of the same story but it doesn't change me I'm the same person I was before I understood the concept I'm the same person I am after I understand the concept that's, that's the, the economic professor the business person is changed by his understanding he's motivated he has a fire under him he's motivated to go and do something about it because he appreciates the value the real life value of, 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 of money it's not that's not a concept for him and therefore he goes ahead and, and, he, and he earns it he makes it so that's, that's, the, that's the difference between maturity and immaturity. Maturity is all about concentration. Children don't have that power to concentrate, to contemplate, to focus. It's all ideas, abstract ideas. Therefore, they're not implicated. Therefore, they're not responsible. Not held responsible for their actions because it's, it's all abstract. But if you have that maturity, you have that ability to connect, then... then you understand the implications of the idea, the real-life implications and the responsibilities and the consequences. Therefore, you're you're, you're responsible. So that's what prayer is. Prayer is taking all these abstract, beautiful ideas and making it come alive, and prayer to come alive. Until you love God with all your heart and all your soul. Until you're in awe of God. It becomes a living faith, a breathing faith, a living Judaism. Fresh, relevant, immediate, feel connected you feel alive as a Jew your Jewishness springs to life without that faith without that prayer, without that connection it's very abstract that's why we have as the Talmud says, we have the idea of the thief who prays to God they should be successful he should have a good night's work <laughs> so it's a contradiction you believe in God and you can go steal and you're praying to God to help you but the person doesn't realize the contradiction because faith is nebulous. So he has the faith, but it hasn't changed his personality. He hasn't changed his character. It has zero impact on him personally. There's a disconnect. There's a child, childish immaturity. That's why, unfortunately, you have many times people who are religious, but they're not, may not be so honest in business or in their personal lives. There's a disconnect. That's immaturity. And 
when a person prays, a person then that's the that's the connecting, the contemplation, the meditation. That's the that's the connection. When you when it becomes relevant to you personally as an individual, it comes alive to you personally as an individual, then you're motivated to change. Then there's movement. Without contemplation, there's no movement. You're the same before you understood the concept. You're the same after you understand the concept. Your life isn't richer. You just acquired another piece of information. Just like your disk. Your disk has a lot of information on it. Doesn't mean the disk is more refined or the disk has changed. So your mind is like a computer. Okay, another, another piece of information. Very interesting. But so what? What difference does it make? Why does it matter? Has it changed you? Has it motivated you? Has it excited you? Is it, is it relevant? Inspired you? Without contemplation, nothing happens. And that's another reason why there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcut for contemplation. In order to digest, in order to integrate, it takes time. There's no shortcuts. First you have to learn, then you have to understand, then you have to crystallize the understanding, then you have to allow it to sink in until it clicks with you, until you internalize it and integrate it, and you feel connected with it, and it comes alive to you and relevant to you. All of this takes time. It's like prayer. It takes time. Prayer is not a one minute of fear. The morning prayer is quite lengthy because it takes time. You can't just get from here to there. You have to go through a process and it takes a lot of inner work, inner effort, inner focus, contemplation and concentration. And that's what Alter Rebbe says. It's a long, short way. There are no shortcuts. It, it will, it's a guaranteed that you will arrive. If you follow this route, you, you do the effort and you do the work, you will get there because it will be real. It will be the real you. you, you, you you'll earn it. It will be an honest achievement. And although it may be limited, but it's real. No one can take it away from you. And then you can build. You have something to build on. It's not quicksand. Inspiration comes and goes. But this is real. It's based on a solid foundation. Because it's, it's carved into you. Your mind, your heart, your effort. And we see it. Even though we live in a seven-second soundbite <laughs> generation, which seems that no one has the focus or the concentration, the attention of longer than seven seconds. But speak to anyone about themselves. They'll listen to you for hours. <laughs> because you're talking to them about something that they care about talk to people about something they care about talk about their money their investments talk about them they'll concentrate for hours what does that show you? when you care about something of course you have concentration people who are scattered and children who have ADD talk to them about something that they really care about they're watching their, their favorite sports game they'll sit there for hours very calmly. So what does that tell you? That when there's something you care about, the focus is there, the concentration is there, the ability is there. We all have that ability. You just have to make the connection. That spirituality and godliness and Jewishness is something that you care about. And if you care about it, you have the zitzvlesh, 
and you have the ability to contemplate and to deeply focus and deeply concentrate until you cement it, until you crystallize it, until it becomes part of you, etched into you. It's the real you. It becomes something that you want. It's your love. It's your, you're attracted. You're pulled in, in that direction. And, you, and you're changed. And it moves you and inspires you. So that's, that's the contemplation. That's the Chabad. I recently got into a political conversation with a Jew about Israel, and I feel it's my job to try to shape people or inform them, and I am not successful. <laughs> Every, everyone sticks to their point of view, and, uh, and it ended when he said, well, there are extremists on the other side, you know, that believe that God gave us the, to- the, the Torah says that the... I said, well, that's what I, you know, believe, and then that was the end of the... So I don't know. How do you, how do you try to be a light without a... People are so misinformed, but they cling to their... Uh... Well, you know, as the Rebbe once said, he says, my job is not to win arguments. My job is to win Jews. Uh-huh. You, you can't ram down anything down anyone's throat. It's a, it's a market. We live in a free marketplace. Mm-hmm. You have to entice the customer. Mm-hmm. But the customer should want to buy it. Yeah. They have to buy into it. Yeah. It has to be their thing. Mm. See, that's the whole point of the long, short way. Yeah. It's not enough. If you buy Yiddishkeit, that's the difference in the Alter Rebbe, the Chabad, and the other style. If you buy Yiddishkeit because the salesman is so great that he can sell you anything, yeah. <laughs> and he's so smooth-talking, he sells you anything, that's, that's not good. The, the, the true way is that the salesperson is selling you something that you really want that you really need. Maybe you don't know it yet. Mm. But he gets you to buy into it, that you want it. Mm. It's like in, in, in marketing, the, the greatest marketing is when something becomes a brand name. You're not just selling a product. Mm. When people are committed, mm. when people are like they're sold, they're sold in it. Mm. Their hearts are into it. Their soul is into it. You know, people are loyal People are faithful. They, they, this is their brand. It's not just. It's not just. Okay, I'll. I'll you know, it's like a marriage to them. This is. My, <laughs> this is my. You know. Now that's a long, short way. Yeah. That's not. Uh, so the same thing is with Yiddishkeit. If a Jew will do Yiddishkeit because the Rebbe is so charismatic, the Tzaddik is so charismatic that he just he just inspires me being in his presence. And I'll do it because he's doing it. So I'm doing it because he's doing it. It's not real me. Mm. It doesn't have staying power not the real thing you want to have a staying power that it should really be for real you have to have the customer has to buy into it that it's his thing it's his discovery it's his baby it's his very own thing that takes time to develop that loyalty and that commitment that it touches you on such a deep level that Yiddishkeit should really strike a chord with you it resonates with you it really touches you very deeply. It's me. I love it. It's, mm. it's who I am. That takes time. There's no shortcuts. Mm. But that's the shortcut. That's mm. the shortest way. <laughs> because once you have that brand loyalty, that brand commitment, forget about it. That's the best stock to invest. <laughs> because you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to last forever. It's, it's a lifelong thing. It's not just a, you know, it comes and goes and it's a, a flash in the pan. What happens if the salesman is no longer here? 
then it's all over. That's what Moshe is telling the Jewish people. You're not buying into Yiddishkeit because I'm here, because I'm Moshe. There's only one Moshe. There never was another Moshe. There never will be another Moshe. So of course, if Moshe's around, of course you're all sold on in, 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 in Judaism. What's going to happen when I pass away? I'm about to pass away. Then it's all over. Moshe says, no. It's your thing. To be Jewish and to act like and live like a Jew. There's, there's brand loyalty. It's your thing. You're going to buy into it because it's you. It resonates with it. It's very near and dear to you. And therefore, I know that this is going to last forever and ever. 38, 300 years later, you're still going to be doing Yiddishkeit with the same enthusiasm, the same excitement. Can you imagine such loyalty, such brand loyalty, 3,300 years, through thick and thin, fire and water, and we haven't changed one iota? The same exact, down to the last letter in every Torah scroll in the world, down to the exact same mitzvah. Same Shabbos candles and the same tefillin. Nothing changed. One iota. 3,300 years. How could Moshe? Because Moshe says, because being Jewish, I don't have to sell you something that's not you. It's you. I'm, I'm selling you something that you, it's you. You're going to sell it to yourself. Each one of you is going to sell it to yourself. You're going to buy into it yourself. You're going to own it. It's your thing. That's what the Alter Rebbe is. It's yours. It's your Yiddishkeit. Don't rely on the leaders, on the rabbis, on the mystics, on the rebbies, and the scholars. No. Every Jew should feel, I am a shareholder. I'm an owner. It's mine. I have invested in this. I have my, everything is in, I have my, my stakes are in here. This is loyal, total loyalty, brand loyalty. I'm committed. But that takes time. To get to that place where it resonates within you, it reverberates within you. That takes time. Education. There's no shortcuts. That takes learning. It takes, and ultimately it takes contemplation. Meditation and contemplation. To be continued. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Likute Amarim, title page.